thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Uh, so this one shows you the different uh, photos of Crete. You can see, yes, it's beautiful beaches, but it's got a really wild, rocky inland, perfect for hill walking and so on. And yes, we've been to Crete. The photo is about to appear behind you now of when the Chad family went to Crete. <clears throat> Happy times. We had a really good holiday. Happy times also, because it takes me back quite nostalgically to the times when I didn't have to go like that to speak to my son. Uh, so, uh, happy, happy times uh, indeed. Titus is in Crete not as a tourist. He's been sent there by Paul to restore order to the growing network of house churches which was, were developing um, on, uh, on the island. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this young guy has been left there with a specific and a difficult task. Crete at the time had a bad reputation. It was notorious for its greed, its violence, its sexual corruption. And this letter was Paul giving instruction and guidance to the younger man entrusted with this sizable task. And in chapter 1, uh, we looked at part of it last week. Read the rest of it if you want to. But chapter 1 was largely the instructions that Paul was giving about how to appoint leaders and the nature of the leaders and the character of the leaders that he should be uh, having to put in place. Our focus is chapter 2. And the subtitle in my version of the, of the Bible, I've, I've been using the uh, NIV, Living Application Bible, this chapter is subtitled, Right Living in the Church. Right Living in the Church. So the focus here is not just on the qualities of the leaders, but on the church members, on us. And the idea was is that Paul wanted to teach Titus how to try to develop, how to encourage these particular qualities in church members in their church life, but also in their individual uh, and family life. So basically, what we're going to look at today is how we are to conduct ourselves as members of God's church in our family and individual life. We're going to look at chapter 2 in two parts. We're going to look, first of all, at chapters, uh, sorry, at verses 1 to 10. And that's going to be our main focus. Uh, and then seeing how much time we've got left at the end, we'll look a little bit at, it, at verses 11 to 15 as well. So we're going to, I'm going to read to you now uh, from what Paul had to say. Remember, it's the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, this guy he's left behind to look after his churches uh, on Crete. And we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. 
Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what's good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way, in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So, how should Christians behave? What does, what does right living in the church mean in practice? Titus Chapter 2, verse 1, if you would demonstrate, if you would display that, please, reads, You, this is Paul speaking to Titus, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach what is right. Stick to the truth. Mark spoke a little bit about this last week when he was looking at the first part of this chapter. So important in our contemporary society where there are so many different truths where truth is relative. So that's what's true for me might not be true for you, or so they say. We have to teach what is right, sound doctrine. And resource-wise, with our Bibles and all the other materials that go with them, we have so much at our disposal, so much more than Titus ever did in his sound doctrine teaching. We have the Bible, God's work no less. The story of God's dealings with and plans for his people. The story of his son, as Mark said last week, putting on skin. The son of God who stated quite unambiguously that he was and still is the way. Not one of the ways, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to God. That's the truth, clear, unambiguous, unpalatable to many, Irrelevant to many, but the truth all the same. And that's what we are to teach. And by logic, therefore, that's what we need to know. Paul moves on then to address different groups within the church. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. And each are addressed separately with a final additional comment for slaves. And we're going to look shortly at the specific comments for each of these different groups. But first, I want to point out and look at the common thread that runs through all of these groups. If you've got the slide there showing verse 2 to 6, that's what I'm looking at now, please. Verses 2 to 6. As it flicks through, can you pick out what the common thing is in verses 2 to 6? Give me a chance to have a drink. (coughs) 
thing I'm talking about here is mentioned to directly to three of those four groups, and it's applied to the fourth. He's exhorting, Paul is exhorting all of these groups of people, and therefore he's exhorting us to be self-controlled. Yeah, self-controlled. Could you put the slide on, please, which shows the definition that I've found for self-control? The definition I've found, which fits perfectly what I'm trying to say here, is that self-control is the ability to regulate one's own emotions, thoughts, and behavior in the face of temptation and impulses. The ability to regulate our emotions, thoughts, and behavior in the face of temptations and impulses. That's what we're called to have. The ability and readiness to control how we feel, what we think, what we do, in response to what's around us. Easier said than done. Especially when there are so many temptations around us, on screen and online in particular. Self-control may come more easily to certain types of character or personality than others. But it's a fruit of God's Holy Spirit. Could you put the Galatians verse up, please? Galatians 5 and 22 to 23, listing the fruit of the Spirit, says that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It will grow within us from whatever starting point if we allow God's Holy Spirit to prevail within us. I know from my careful observations on my allotment that fruit does not suddenly appear overnight. It takes time, some nurturing for fruit to reach its perfected state, its maturity. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit and therefore with self-control. It's not something you're either born with or not. It's not going to suddenly appear overnight as you open up to Jesus. It might be a long, gradual process, but it is what we're called to have and to work at developing. The Bible's got a lot to say on self-control, both New and Old Testaments. I've chosen just one verse. It's the Proverbs one that I'd like to display in now, please. According to the, the writer of this proverb, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Think what that actually means. An old city, its wall was its defense. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And the next slide hopefully will show you that same verse from the message version to bring it up to date maybe a little bit more. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. Self-control. Just how vulnerable you would be if your house did not have doors and windows. So let's now look at what Paul has to say to the specific groups he lists within the fellowships. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. I know what you're thinking there. This group am I in? Yeah. What counts as older and younger here? We don't have a strict ruling on that. I have to say I'm fairly confident, I'm afraid, which group I fit into now. But one of the commentators I read in preparing this suggested that Paul probably had in mind 40 or 50, you can see that's a wide band in itself, 40 or 50 years old and upwards for older, which sounds to me pretty reasonable. I'll let you decide which group you fall into. So, group one. 
older men within the church. I'd like to see on the screen, please, Titus 2, verse 2. Older men to the church, in the church rather. Paul's instruction to Titus was to teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. These are the four qualities that the elder men, the older men, are to be trained to excel in. Temperate, meaning not just not abusing alcohol, but surely applicable to anything that could be pursued to excess. Worthy of respect, how we behave, how we carry ourselves, how godly our lifestyle is. Self-controlled, we've seen that. Sound in faith, in love and endurance. Sound, meaning solid, reliable, consistent in our faith, which needs to be neither lukewarm or based on dubious doctrine. Sound in our love, not deteriorating into sentimentality, not growing cold, but being generous and warm. Sound in our endurance, determined to complete the race, not giving up, getting up every time we fall or get knocked down. So, fellow older men, Temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love and endurance. How do you, how do we measure up to what Paul is calling us? Group two, older women in the church. I realize I'm standing here. This is one of the four groups that I feel somewhat apprehensive about addressing. And it did occur to me that this might be why Paul chose to write this letter from the safety of mainland Greece (laughs) rather than from Crete itself. But let's have a go anyway. Uh, Next verse is just verse 3, please. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. There's the qualities that Titus is to encourage in the elder women in the fellowships. They should be reverent in the way they live. I think that's pretty much the same as worthy of respect for older men. It's being dignified. It's being godly in your general bearing in how you carry yourselves. You're not to be slanderers. You're not to be gossips, to spread or to listen to gossip, to use words which build up and not tear down. You're not to be addicted to much wine. Yeah, it's the avoidance of the excess again. It's the living of one's life under the influence, not of spirits, but of the spirit. It's all to do with self-control again, isn't it? Teach what is good. Teaching not just by speaking, be it standing up in front of a group or with another, pe- another person while you're in a cafe or out walking with them, but also by modeling a godly lifestyle. So... Older women in the church, there are your yardsticks. How do you measure up to what Paul calls you to be? Group three. Younger women in the church. That's verses four and five on the slides, please. Younger women in the church are to be taught and trained to excel in the following qualities. Well, let's see what the word says. Then they can urge the younger women, they there are the older women, they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Younger women, Paul is exhorting that you love your husbands and children. And as for all of us, The best evidence of our faith is how we treat those closest to us behind closed doors when the outside world isn't looking. 
be self-controlled and pure. Avoiding immorality, maybe, in what you think, in what you say, and what you do. Be busy at home. Again, Paul is saying home is the proving point for your faith. Be kind. I don't need to explain that one. Be subject to your husbands. There may well be younger women, both married and not, listening to these words from this older man, trying to explain the words of another older man, listening and maybe bristling. We're to love our husbands and children, to be busy at home, to be subject to our husband. Isn't this just a perpetuation of the gender inequalities that women have been struggling to overcome for at least the last couple of years? A couple of hundred years, I should have said. I don't feel particularly qualified to tackle that issue here. And even if I did, it would be a whole new massive subject by itself. But I would say two things from a personal perspective. Firstly, I don't read this as meaning that women aren't to have a life and make worthwhile contributions outside the house. And I certainly don't believe that Paul is ordering younger women into their homes Taliban fashion. To look at this subject, I think we need to look at the whole of Scripture and see what else is said on the subject in different places. Women, every bit as men, are created in God's image. The second thing I would say <laughs> is that I'm particularly grateful to Paul here himself for this get-out clause that he's provided for me on this difficult subject. Because as, as he says, if you younger women are not happy listening to this older man go on this subject, then as Paul has already said, the best teachers for younger women are older women. So older women, over to you. I'll let you deal with that subject. And so on to group four, back, on, back onto firmer ground for me here. The younger men in the church. I think that the wisdom of Paul is particularly apparent here. For the older men, four qualities to be taught. For the older women, four qualities to be taught. For the younger women, five qualities. For the younger men, just one. Paul knows how much younger men can process. For parents or partners of younger men, how many times have you uttered the phrase, you were given one thing to do? You had one thing to remember. I can see ladies in here mouthing this phrase as I'm halfway through it. Paul knew his target audience. There's at least three young guys squirming a little bit on the front row here. I do apologize. I shall buy you a coffee or something afterwards. Yeah. Paul knew his target audience. He asked Titus to teach and to train the young men in one single quality. And it's verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Young men don't need four things to grapple with. One's enough. Be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. If you would mind putting the, if you can find it, the definition of what we're on about again here. If not, I'll just read it to you. Self-control is the ability to regulate one's emotions, thoughts, and behavior in the face of temptations and impulses. I want to go back, while I develop this one a little bit, to the weekend last week that I spent at the Excel conference. 
And one of the sessions at that conference was a question and answer session with four of the leaders. It was a bit, and on my notes there, I've underlined the word bit, it was a bit like a Christian Graham Norton show, if you can even begin to imagine what that might look like. And one of the questions was to do with dealing with temptation, and specifically online pornography. And advice that the church leaders might give to young men to stop the habit or to avoid the temptation. And the answer given, I felt, by one of the leaders was particularly wise. And I think it can be applied more generally, too, to other temptations of whatever nature. And his response was basically this. When facing such temptation, look ahead and imagine the consequences of being found out. The position of having to admit to loved ones, to colleagues, to friends, what you've been doing. Your shame, their hurt, their disappointment that you're responsible for. And the young pastor guy said, I don't want to be the guy having to do that. And that was the advice that I gave, which I thought was pretty sound advice. So, younger men, self-control, how do you measure up? To your calling. If you could have the slide back on verses 7 and 8, next please. In those verses, Paul goes back to his theme in the previous chapter. He's laying out quite clearly the qualities Titus himself, as church leader, needs to develop in other church leaders and model. And he says, uh, partway, or rather, right in the first line of that, set an example. That's Paul talking directly to Titus. But don't you think it applies to all of us too? Set an example at home and outside the home. Because those who come into contact with us are likely to know that we're Christians. And they'll make connections between what we say we believe and the way they see us behave. At home, at work, at play, when we're relaxed, when we're under pressure. Set an example, which really means set a good example, doesn't it? So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. We call not just to speak, but to live the truth in front of others. And make no mistake, others will be watching. Very, I'm not sure how good an example is, but what came to my mind here is in younger days. And um, one of the highlights of my working week was at four o'clock, last lesson on a Friday. And the blokes in the college went straight down to the sports hall and played five-a-side football for an hour and a half. It was that real special time. And I remember quite clearly one of those occasions when I was playing. And I know you'll find this very, very hard to believe, but I missed an open goal. And instead of reacting in a a, a non-Christian way, I was, and just walked back. And one of the guys who I was playing with said, and I remember this this quite clearly, quite clearly, are you never going to beep, 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 swear? And I was quite struck by that. That made an impression in that playing football moment, the fact that I didn't um, react to my ineptitude with uh, a barrage of swear words made an impression on the people around me. Set an example. The people with whom we have such contact may not agree with what we believe, but what they observe of our life should be beyond dispute. Verses 9 and 10, if you could display those, please. Paul goes on to another group within the church, the slaves. 
Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. I sense in the same way as the young women might have been bristling, there might be other people bristling at the very notion of slavery. Nicky Gumbel, the author of the um, Alpha Course, had this to say about this passage. This letter, so Titus, this letter was written at a time when Christians were in no position to lead the fight against slavery. They were a tiny minority in an empire where a high proportion of the population were slaves. Paul is not here endorsing slavery. Paul is reacting to the, to the, to the contemporary position. And look at how that mini section ends at the end of verse, um, at the end of verse 10. You be, to behave in such a way so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Wow, what a challenge. Challenge to all of us. We, little old us, or little young us, depending on which group you're in, we can beautify the gospel, the good news of Jesus, by the, how we live our lives. We can either make or mar the gospel. What a responsibility. What a privilege. We don't really have a great deal of time to look at verses uh, 11 to 15, but if you could just display them anyway, please. I'll read them out. Uh, I'll let you give you a moment or so just to think about them, and then I, I shall draw this all to an end. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. The verse ends there with Jesus purifying for himself a people are his very own. What an honor to be part of that people. His very own. We're eager to do what's good. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. I think that's what we're being called to do. So, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, how are we doing in this call to right living? And if such a word exists, how can our living be righter? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And in your word, Lord, your word itself is described as sharper than a two-edged sword. Just visualize that power. And in your word, we're told that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We see that, Lord, and we do thank you for that provision. 
Lord God, I pray for myself and all others with me here today in the building and online that, Lord, we will take this word from Titus on board and we will seek to make our lives more self-controlled, more upright, more godly, so that we might be able to make this precious gospel more attractive, even more attractive to those around us. Lord Jesus, we ask you these prayers in your name. Amen.